Hadouken! And welcome to a very, very special episode of Poddywood. I am one of your selectable fighters, Steve Hester. And with me as always is... You know what the really sad part about all of this is? What? Is the fact that you actually took time to write some kind of intro to the fact that we are actually doing a watch along of Street Fighter this week. No, I didn't write it. I just kind of was just thinking about it as the music was playing. I'm Andrew Roger Carson. I am the co-host slash victim of this week. Oh, now come on. You know you know, you love Street Fighter just as much as I do. Don't even pretend that this is a hardship for you. It's not. I'm sure I will glean as much entertainment out of it from the time that I lost £78 on it. Sorry, I what? I will explain as the show progresses. Okay, well, we'll come to that story later on. Anyway, it's too warm today. <laughs> What's going on? We're in September. <laughs> um, It just feels like it's warm and sticky and just there. Yeah, and here we are to still deliver a show to you, cooped up in this little box-like room. And speaking of box-like rooms, we've got to talk about what's in the box from last week. Well, you actually had uh, a nice movie to watch. Yes, instead of all the usual disasters and horribleness and prison movies and and rapes and murders and everything, I got to watch the surprisingly made in the year 2000 Ben Stiller and Rob De Niro movie Meet the Parents. And when I say surprisingly made in the year 2000, I mean I was really surprised it was made in the year 2000. I thought it was later than that. And it's apparent when you watch it because there's jokes that are taking place on planes about bombs going off. And you think, no, no, that wouldn't be happening post 9-11. People going into an airport really, really easy. No, that wouldn't happen post 9-11 either. But uh, anyway, I digress. You've got Ben Stiller as a, a guy called Greg Fokker. And as we find out later on in the end of the movie, that isn't actually his real first name. Is his real surname, though. And he is going off to, I think it's upstate New York, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Uh, to meet his girlfriend's parents, uh, played by Robert De Niro. And I forget, uh, was it Blythe Danner? And it turns out that his prospective father-in-law, shock horror twist, used to be a member of the CIA. He used to uh, used to test people to see if they were actually moles working for the company. And the whole movie is basically a comedy of errors and a comedy of manners, kind of farcical at times. And uh, even though it may be listed down in there's a book called like the 1001 most important movies that you need to see before you die or something like that. It's actually one of those movies that I don't like because a lot of the a lot of the humor comes from situations which could very easily be avoided if someone just kind of talked for like twenty seconds. Yes, like there's a scene where Robert De Niro is grilling Ben Stiller at their uh, they're getting fitted out for the suits for this wedding for Robert De Niro's other daughter, and he corners him in one of the changing rooms because he thinks he's been smoking grass. And it turns out he hasn't. It's his son's, but he doesn't know that. And it's one of those situations where it then leads to other jokes later on. But you're there thinking, no, if Ben still had any kind of head on him, he would have gone, I'm sorry, I honestly don't understand what it is that you're talking about. Can you let me know? And then things could be rectified. And it's just things like that. It irritates me. It it really does. Because I see it in a lot of movies of this type. And you just think, no, talk, get it out there. Yeah, it's just one of those movies I, I, I just wasn't kind of into. This is actually kind of interesting because I, uh, I watched it again myself and it's that familiar comedy type of the wince comedy, as I call it. Yeah. There's something just 
really uncomfortable about these kind of movies where, you know, everything that can go wrong does go wrong for a character. It's like, um, you know, Ricky Gervais in The Office, I guess, would be a good example of what wince comedy is. Yeah, slightly cringy as well. Everything about this film, you sit there, De Niro is fabulous because he always is. You know, this was his pre-Dirty Grandpa days. Yeah, this was the peak just before he dipped down into the valley of shitty comedies. Exactly. But, you know, he he has this fantastic relationship with the cat. Mr. Jinx. That that cat character is a real bastard in this movie. Yeah. He really is. But um, Ben Stiller is not as annoying as he would be later in later movies. And I say that with all due respect, but it's just some of the characters that he played was just like... Yeah. Really annoying. One thing that I did notice about Ben Stiller, and I don't know if this was a conscious thing or not, but he tends to stare a lot. He doesn't tend to blink. He just seems to have this kind of like focused look in his eyes that is just kind of a little bit unwavering. And I did notice in the very kind of last scene where Robert De Niro is actually watching from the secret teddy bear cam mm-hmm. style thing, of how much Ben Stiller and Casey Affleck actually are kind of similar in their performance range. Well, speaking of people that are similar in the performance range, Owen Wilson's also in in it. Yeah. Now, like I said last week, I love Owen Wilson. I think he's great. He just seems so wonderfully laid back and chilled. But yeah, just in this, as soon as he came out, he was just like, no, Owen, you're playing the exact same part that I've seen you do loads of times before, mate. I think he's even more annoying in this. Yeah. Uh, Because this is a character that you're set up to hate, and he is such... A condescending prick in this movie. Oh, yeah, totally. It's like the Jeremy Sisto effect in uh, Waitress. You just want to reach through the screen and absolutely belt this guy. Wow. What? Was that your Owen Wilson impression? Wow. He never said it in Loki. I was disappointed. Maybe it's a different version of Owen Wilson in it. Yeah, it could be. a variant. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got a very, very Randy Newman soundtrack. Um, oh. You've got some pretty good setup and payoffs, but there are a few moments, a few little Chekhov's gun moments, like the urn. As soon as the urn was mentioned, I knew that that was going to end up on the floor. Also, partly because I'd seen that in trailers. But yeah, it's one which is just obvious that it's going to happen. The precariously placed urn on yeah. a shelf that is not designed to hold an urn of your dead mother's remains yeah but bluntly i kind of prefer ben stiller when he's doing things like dodgeball you know that kind of yeah. more i don't know zany comedy i hate to use the word zany but it's the only thing that i can think of that can fit it and it kind of come out a little bit towards the end of this one where he's trying to get into the airport and just the the heightened reality of the people that work for the airline i thought that was probably <laughs> the funniest part of the movie to be honest i'll agree but yeah, give us a Ben Stiller in Tropic Thunder, a dodgeball. There was kind of like out there characters, even though he was majorly overshadowed in Tropic Thunder by both Tom Cruise and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. But, you know, he still held his own as Tug Speedman. <laughs> Great action 80s name. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I can't really think of anything massively to add to it, really. I mean, it, it was a film. Yes, and will it be any better in hindsight after we've watched Street Fighter today? We will find out later on. But in the meantime, I guess we've got to talk about some anniversaries. We watch them again all of the time. Or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. I wish I knew how to quit you. Is that Jerry Maguire? No, it's Brokeback Mountain. Let's take that up again. 
Is that Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> no, it was Jerry Maguire. Thank God for that. Okay. I was right the first time. Yes. Yeah, so, so, anniversaries this week. Oh, God, this is like show 13 all over again. I know. I'm telling you. Trust me, one day we will tell you the story of how bad this episode was to set up. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're going to throw you back to some anniversaries and we're going to go Yay. back to 25 years ago, Steve. What do we have? When Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman start in Chain Reaction. Not a story about Diana Ross, but a movie by Andrew Davis that was Keanu's follow-on from Speed. Was that the one where it was all like in loads of water? Or, or no, no, I'm thinking of there was another movie where it was all like set during a storm, but I think that might have been uh, Christian Slater. That would be Hard Rain, edited by Gillian Hutching. Gillian Mention, there we go. I think I might have caught like a bit of it one night when it was on TV, but I think it was just skipping through the channels and just thought, nah, and moved on. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those movies, you know, they've they've designed some kind of cold fusion thing that's going to supply energy for free throughout the world the government suddenly decides to steal it uh can you trust morgan freeman or can't you and keanu reeves is on the run with rachel weiss in tow and that's practically your movie but it was directed by the fugitives andrew davis mm-hmm. uh who i can't remember he did a movie after the fugitive and i know that he did our <laughs> our regular favorite under siege and he really did really great movies I guess until you took him out of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, that might be why Under Siege is a little... Yeah. Under Siege is Steven Seagal's best film. Uh, in all fairness, Bill Daly is probably sat at his computer now saying, no, it was executive decision. And I'm sure we're going to have that talk one day soon. Uh, but Chain Reaction was... Um, it's an all right film. It's one of those ones that kind of shows up every now and again on like Channel 5 when he needs to fill two hours in an evening. We need to fill two hours in an evening. So that's why you get Morgan Freeman. Yes. Chain Reaction is 25 years old this week. So let's go to something that's 20 years old and a bit more eventful. You Mm -hmm. either love it or you hate it. But we are going to talk about Moulin Rouge. The Moulin Rouge? No. You don't like it or no, you haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. I was bombarded too much by that version of Lady Marmalade. that (laughs) It just turned me off to the rest of the film. Was that All Saints? No, uh, no, it was no. like pink little Kim, Christina Aguilera, and then you had Missy Elliott at the end just reading out everyone's names like it's a school play. Well, to be honest, I mean, I love Moulin Rouge, but I do have a little bit of hate for it as well. Because uh, in a store that I once was in, one of the girls there, who will remain nameless, kept playing the soundtrack over and over and over again. And I, I fully relate to that song that you hate. I hate the entire soundtrack because of that instance. There's going too far, okay? And when you're playing the same CD all day, along with an Alicia Zatic CD, God, no, that's drives you nuts. The past. I know. They don't even remember they were an Alicia Zatic. No. That's how far back it was. But yes, uh, but Moulin Rouge was released 20 years ago. It was a sizable hit for Baz Luhrmann and... Uh, we yeah. all had that Robbie Williams and Nicole Kidman song that came because of that. Yeah, well, the, like you say, the least said about the bloody soundtrack, the better. Yeah, that's, that's bad that we actually talk about the soundtrack instead of it being an actual visual delight that is Moulin Rouge. But yeah, uh, the movie's great. The soundtrack is torture these days. 
Sorry to say. All right, then. So that's two films. Uh, what have we got on third? <laughs> two films you haven't seen, and I'd be very amazed if you'd seen the third one. It's kind of obscure. But 15 years ago this week, Steve, a small movie called Accepted was released that starred Jonah Hill. It starred Justin Long. Right. It also starred Blake Lively, a bunch of other people, and it was directed by Steve Pink, who some of you may know directed Gross Point. Well, he was the writer of Gross Point Blank, uh, writer of High Fidelity, and the director of Hot Tub Time Machine. Wasn't a big fan of High Fidelity, but Gross Point Blank was absolutely brilliant. How can you say that about High Fidelity? That I wasn't a fan. Movie. I wasn't a fan. Well, fair enough. But accepted. It was your basically high school slacker story. Uh, they get rejected by every school that he applies to. So he decides to create his own institution of higher learning. And basically all of these uh, rejected people. It's, it's your animal house for 2006 generation. Uh, the movie was a l- improvised quite a lot. Uh, a lot of the gags that were pitched by the actors on the day of shooting. And, you know, that kind of become a, a stable of comedy movies nowadays where they're just throwing out what lines and we'll use the one that stick. Yeah. It's it's an all right movie. You know, it's, it's inoffensive. It's not going to rack up in the thousand and one movies to see before you die by Steven Schneider. Yeah. But if, if you're looking for a good bit of escapist fun that will keep you occupied for an hour and a half, except it is that movie. I haven't seen it, but I think i might have if that makes sense i haven't actually i mean it's sat something down. that's been on in the background yeah yeah i haven't actually sat down and watched it but i've got a vague memory of it but i'll be damned if i can remember what that vague memory is if that makes any sense whatsoever probably not yeah but there you go it's, it's not rashomon it's no. just you know the, your regular movie but they are the anniversaries for this week wow i guess with the anniversaries out of the way we've only got one thing to do haven't we oh shit Uh, round uh, one fight yeah so basically what has happened here is every time that we have a guest free week and we do kind of have a guest free week to kind of unwind because the amount of work that goes into sourcing the guests writing up all the content organizing the guests to come on um doing the edit for steve stuff like that we do need a, a week where we just need to relax a little and with september and october starting to look incredibly busy on the guest front more on that later we decided let's try something different we've done get it freshed in the past we have introduced Pottywood after dark into the main show for one week so we could talk about stuff that's in the news so this week we decided okay let's kind of hold a poll as to uh, i knew it was coming i even paused for that i voted for deep rising because i talk about that movie enough that it does need its own episode one day and Steve kind of mooted in with Street Fighter, the infamous Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, I don't know how you would explain this movie, Steve. It's a an infamous Jean-Claude Van Damme movie tie-in of a video game, which was an absolute disaster, really, from start to finish, with so many different problems, and ultimately it released to very, very poor reviews. But there is something about it, and especially Raoul Julia just chewing the scenery that just makes it a joy to watch so hence why we're here yes and because steve kind of brought this up uh, the other week on his nominate five we couldn't help but start talking about it afterwards and saying you know what there is enough stuff about that movie that we could actually do this as a kind of tester uh, it's something that we may do again down the line it depends on if we survive this 
Um, there's some personal stories around it. There's some hilarious stories behind it. And you're invited to kind of watch the movie along with us and try to determine whether it's art or arse. If you want to get the full effect of this little watch along that we're going to be doing, then in a few moments you are going to hear this sound. When you do, pause this audio and start playing the movie. As soon as the Columbia TriStar logos disappear from your screen, hit play again, and then this commentary should be in sync. Now, please bear in mind that there will be slight differences between regional variations of the movie, as well as certain possible issues with encoding in different parts of the world. That is entirely out of our control, I'm afraid. So hopefully, this should all line up perfectly. If not, blame your government. Yes, for you people who are not watching... Uh, Street Fighter, it's fine. We are going to make this show just as interesting. We're going to talk about the history behind this movie, some nice little factoids, and we will try to relate what is going on. So don't feel you have to skip this episode because you don't want to watch Street Fighter like I probably would. But for now, here's that noise. And here we go. Capcom and Columbia Pictures presents... I love the way that Universal pretty much removed their entire logo from this planet. <laughs> they even didn't want to be part of this movie either. And they were the original people. So, Well, just give you a little bit of a background, because the movie's called Street Fighter, but it's based on Street Fighter 2, but not actually based on Street Fighter 2. It's based on the fourth iteration of Street Fighter 2. Yes. Super Street Fighter 2. The new <laughs> challenges. Because yes. Capcom were nothing if... <laughs> they were desperate for your money back in the 90s. Exactly. And currently now they're having a complete Robocop rip-off by having all of these news channels flash up on screen. And we have the introduction of Ming-Na Wen playing Chun-Li. Uh-huh. Uh, who was uh, for many years considered her career over <laughs> from this when she actually did see this movie. Yeah. And if it wasn't for George Clooney basically saying, well, to be honest, it's not the worst thing or something along those lines. Well, it isn't uh, She the now worst looks thing. back favorably. Yeah, so she should. I Okay, before we go any further, I just want to say I unironically adore this movie. So if if I say anything about it, I just want you to know I love this film. I will quite happily watch this film any day. It's Andy that's having to suffer through this. Yeah, and and the worst thing is I've seen it many times and I still don't understand why I keep coming back to it. Uh, And there's just so much history behind this movie that we're going to kind of cover today. Hmm. Uh, And obviously, you know, we have to talk that this was uh, Raul Julia's last movie. Yep. Playing M. Bison in one of many casting misfires really that this movie has had when it came to honoring the characters oh god yeah later yeah there was an infamous wilhelm scream also on that throw into that pit is it wilhelm or wilhelm it can be whatever it wants because i always thought it was wilhelm well i'm sure the director wilhelm anything else but a remake of this (laughs) yeah yeah and there's an infamous part here. Obviously, uh, M. Bison is like challenging these uh, American GI or UN forces to fight. And the next snap right there was cut out of the English version of this movie. Oh, was it now? Because I know that there was a series of... Because um, you mentioned earlier that there was a series of edits, but they were all 
slight ones, weren't they? Yes, well, the thing is, uh, Capcom and the director, Steven E. D'Souza, who we'll mention in more detail as we go along, always envisioned this movie as PG-13. And what happened is, and I did a bit of research on this, uh, they submitted the movie... Mm-hmm. And it came back as an R rating, which is basically a, your adult full of violence, etc. Now, what had happened a week before this movie was submitted to the MPAA, Motion yep. Picture Association of America, there was a school shooting. Oh. Right? Which usually triggers people at the MP, MPAA where it's like, oh, God, this is supposed to be a family movie, but, you know, this is like ultra violent and so many guns and we're going to give it an R. So. They had to go back. They had to do a lot of editing on it uh, to get it down to a PG-13. And when they submitted it, it came back as a G, (laughs) which is the worst rating you can give to a movie that is aimed at teenagers because no teenagers will watch a G. That's like a a universal rating. (laughs) Okay, So they went back and added in these scenes of Van Damme swearing in order to get it back up to a PG-13. Is that the son of Habich Bison's ass? Yeah. Yeah. Or as just said that anytime, dickhead, we go live like now. But yes, uh, that was uh, that was the true story behind the uh, rating controversy, and it would just kind of have major ramifications going on. Which for a movie where Van Damme was doing ten k of coke a week during filming, as well as having the infamous Kylie Minogue affair during filming, it's probably not the most shocking story no no because it was i mean you could you could probably look at the actual genesis of this movie and that's probably the more shocking uh more shocking aspect of it because it was shipped around as far as i'm aware it was shipped around by capcom around hollywood and it eventually landed in the lap of uh mr d'souza who's one of those people who was just all over action movies in the 80s and 90s. What did he do? He did uh, Running Man, Die Hard, um, is he Commando as well? Ricochet. Ricochet. In its full aspect ratio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, every time we've talked about Ricochet, it just makes me think of an Irishman. Hello, my name's Ricochet. <laughs> Release the Mulcai cut. We're going for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, as you were saying, yeah, the, there is a story I do want to get into in that, and it is a bit of a long one, which I will kind of interject in here. But the, the main story that I want to get out of the way now is obviously uh, Van Damme was at the height of his fame, but also at the height of his addictions at this point. Yeah. You know, and there was a very publicized, um, oh, look, there's Vega. <laughs> we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, That's going to be a running theme throughout the show. We'll get onto that in a minute. This is for another episode, isn't it? This is for another episode. But uh, Stephen D'Souza said that the drugs were taking a serious toll on the actual filming of the movie. So the studio actually hired a wrangler for Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, which turned out to be a a huge uh, mistake because he kind of fell in love with that celebrity lifestyle that Van Damme got and he ended up partying with him. So Van Damme would end up calling in sick. He'd end up leaving the set when he shouldn't do. He'd show up later or not at all. And they had to kind of film other scenes to kind of make up for lost time for a movie that was also having to shift around because of Raul's illness, which we will Mm -hmm. cover also. 
But I think there was, if I'm right, uh, and I'm I'm basing this off uh, off a, a video that I saw on YouTube. Uh, so there was an awesome joke on screen at the moment there. I couldn't help but laugh. There's there's a moment where Sagat says, uh, "Nobody in this town tells me what to do." And then overhead, there's a helicopter saying that there's a curfew. <laughs> it it gets me every time. Apologies. Carry on. No, I was going to say because um, um, Stephen Souza apparently got the the job to uh, yeah yeah. There was this video by a guy called Mac McMuscles on YouTube, and he looks at the making of the Street Fighter the movie the game. Yes, that, and if 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 you do like the game, made. just check out the background here. Notice yeah. that? That's from the Sagat level. That's a reclining the game. Uh, nice and there, touch. Yeah, you just also miss right at the front there, Benny the Jet Okidas. Oh. Yes, who was a world karate champion and actually uh, trained them to fight. There he is, just over his shoulder. Um, he was also, I can't remember what the name of the, the bad guy was in Gross Point Blank. <laughs> but uh, he was the guy that got stabbed in the neck in the uh, in the corridor fight. Yes. Um, so, so, but yes. Uh, anyway, um, but as far as I can gather, Stephen E. D'Souza fought to get the um, pro- uh, director gig on this because he thought, you know, might as well get paid. But he had to basically produce the first draft of the script over a weekend. Yes. Which is That's insane. a rumor going around, yes. Yeah. I mean, I can't even do that. It takes me at least a good eight days to get a good first draft. Yeah. And uh, I love the way the ping pong balls actually have a boing sound effect. I don't think that those guns fire ping pong balls there, though. No. But an interesting kind of thing here, and I know we're kind of straying off the actual scenes that are in front of us, which is going to be hard. But um, Byron Mann, who played Ryu, Mm -hmm. or Ryu, if you're Damon Chapa. (laughs) Uh, auditioned six times for the role of Ryu and originally it was Capcom who wanted uh, Kenji Sawada legend that will show up in this movie very short (laughs) they wanted him to play Ryu and he couldn't speak a word of English and they couldn't even dub a word of English over him either so uh, they basically said, well, he can't be Ryu. He doesn't have the chemistry as much as Byron Mann has uh, with um, Damon Chapa, who plays Ken. Mm-hmm. So uh, they made up this character of Captain Sawada, which was ironic, <laughs> really. Um, and apparently uh, Ken Sawada was not very happy uh, with the situation. I don't think he and Byron Mann actually got on because of it. Um but to be honest, for me, Ken Sawada is the standout of this movie for me. Well, for me, it's the, the gentleman right there in the hat and the cloak, Ralph Woolia, who who is well known in this movie. He was suffering from terminal cancer. I can't remember um, the exact nature of it. I think it was stomach cancer. I could be wrong. Yes, um, I did. Had but, an infamous shot there on the screen, real World War Two footage of someone getting shot. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't even think that was World War Two. I think there was like um, like Vietnam or something. Because I'm sure yeah. I've seen that. Seen that. Yeah, that's, that's surprising in a movie that the MPAA basically rated and that survived. Yeah. Um, but uh, Raul Julia, he just 
he chews the scenery in this movie like a termite, but he is the standout in this for me. He Raul Julia is full on Richard the Third, right? Without he question, is Shakespearean on this like you wouldn't believe. But he obviously did so much work on the research, right? Because as you notice, he kind of has these Mussolini hand gestures. You know, he's got mm-hmm. that elusiveness of a Pablo Escobar. And if you notice, like, through all those places, he's got loads of art, which is a throwback to Hitler as well. Yeah. Um, and the movie is dedicated to him. It was the last movie. He took it because his kids loved uh, Street Fighter. And he wanted to do a nice family-friendly movie because, obviously, Adam's family was a bit too violent. <laughs> really? I'd yes. Never thought of Adam's family as a bit too violent. but uh, Yes. Which is, which is interesting, really, considering that this movie actually has people hitting each other. Yes. But there was, uh, funnily enough, and we're kind of at the Vega and Ryu fight here uh, in the cage, which isn't really a fight, but it's a huge build-up. There's two great stories about this. One, because of the all-shift around in Van Damme being unreliable and Raul Julia's illness, um, they didn't actually get to rehearse a lot of the fighting and stuff like that until hours before these scenes were shot. Right? There, there was a, a big controversy over it that resulted in a big huge flare-up so you will see here while vega is uh showing off his uh face well before you carry on speaking of vega's face i remember watching this with my mum. i think when it came out in video in about 95 and she didn't know anything about the characters other than the fact i wanted her to play on my snes with me and she saw vega and she was convinced that when that mask came off it was going to be someone who was horrible (laughs) <laughs> but no she doesn't think so no <laughs> but anyway you see this knife okay that's not a knife that is a real knife that is not a prop as much as it may look one it is a real knife that he had to do this with because they had to improvise this hours beforehand there was a Thai stuntman who taught Byron how to do this so he's really swinging a real knife around there instead of a prop it was highly dangerous at the time and the other story here, which is infamous, is it's not only Capcom that had a say in this movie, it was Hasbro also. Yeah, because they were right. producing the toy line for it, weren't they? Well, the funny story is is that Hasbro were basically looking to get rid of their stacked-up G.I. Joe toy line, right? Which was basically not selling anymore. So they wanted to recondition the characters to actually be a Street Fighter characters and just shill all this backlog. Now, this tank that comes through the wall here is an actual old G.I. Joe toy that they wanted featured in the movie so that they could sell it. That right there is basically a doctored tank. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So the only reason this tank exists in this movie was to sell it off as a toy. And uh, in the Street Fighter range, right there, you've got the voice of Adrian Cronauer, the real Adrian Cronauer. Yes. Oh, and there right he is. Here, you've got the voice of Connor. <laughs> oh, right now, but it, it, some people may <laughs> think that because he's he's native native Japanese, isn't he? Yes. Yes. So okay, he, he was he was an actor in Japan. He was in Mishima. Uh, last thing I ever saw him in was a movie called Happiness of the Catacoras, but he was an actor, he just cannot speak English. No. But then again, the first thing which pops to mind is the, the old guy in Temple of Doom. 
the like the village chieftain mystic or whatever that uh, that they see, and he's got this yes. kind of pausing, stilting speech, and then he carries on talking. And in those little pauses, you had Steven Spielberg just off camera who was saying, "Just repeat these lines phonetically." Can you swear? I can't even do that phonetically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the strange thing is, <laughs> his voice is dubbed. I know it's dubbed badly. <laughs> How bad was his real voice? If the dub is shockingly bad, they right? could have Do, taken you know the just all the time they wanted to. But no, right? This this film was budgeted at thirty five million, right? And Capcom specifically wanted Van Damme for to play Gal, right? Because of of Belgium actor to play an American GI is obviously you know it's fine in Capcom's eyes. Um, could it be Steven Seagal? He took up, yeah. He took eight million of this thirty-five million budget, right? Raul Julia took a sizable chunk of it as well, and this is the reason why a lot of these the extra characters in it are not well known. They're not well known actors at the time. Some of them have gone on to great things. Some of them have been Ken Sawada. Um, but Stephen D'Souza actually deferred his salary to pay for this cast. Wow! Right, that takes some balls. Right. <laughs> It really does. Um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, this film, as much as it's really geared as this, like, terrible movie that is derided by fans, it was a commercial success. Oh, yeah. They make an absolute fortune every time that this is shown on TV. Capcom are more than happy with this. Yeah, on its first release... Uh, theatrically, it made it domestically $33 million, just $2 million shy of its budget. But internationally, it made $66 million, right? Which is like double. <laughs> so it's it's more than doubled its budget, right? So it is financially a successful movie. And for all the right reasons, you know, Raul Julia was praised for his performance. He really is that good in it. Mm-hmm. Um and while, you know, Van Damme, yeah, he was not easy to work with due to his ego and problems at the time. Uh, I I spoke with a member who, who, or somebody who worked on this movie recently, who go unnamed, uh, and they were telling me uh, Van Damme apparently had this presidential suite in the hotel. He had his own personal gym in there and everything, and he refused to leave it until he was ready, right? He wouldn't come down and hang out with anyone else. When he did show up, he had alcohol on set, and he would take hours to actually shoot his scenes. And conversely, everybody loved Cardin Minogue. Apparently, she was incredibly generous. She was really professional on time. Uh, and apparently, from what I hear, she hired a club for everyone, and she ended up buying drinks for the entire cast and crew. Did she make you them know? all do the locomotion, it's... though? Probably at the time. <laughs> well, this was the year she did that Confide in Me music video, so we, she was starting to do the change. I don't yeah. want to link that to Van Damme's coke use, but you know. <laughs> no. Um, and Van Damme turned down Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat for this. Uh, yeah, and if, if this that must is, have been some good fucking cocaine. This is well known as the second worst video game movie um, that didn't involve Uwe Ball, and the first one yes. was uh, Super Mario Brothers. Which that deserves just to be left on a shelf somewhere, um, but it's it's amazing how much love that this movie has gathered over the years, and 
I'm amazed I'm having as much fun revisiting it now, to be honest. I think yeah. I'm just looking at it through like a director's eyes yeah. and just, you know, seeing, oh, look, T-Hawk. T-Hawk. Right. Okay, let's get Thunder into the characters. Hawk. So the the original game oh, was please. released with eight playable characters, but then there were four, uh, sorry, three boss characters. There was Vega. No, there was four. There was Vega, Balrog, um, Segat, and M. Bison. Now, there were some issues because the names were changed around. Like, M. Bison was originally the name of the uh, the boxer character, but they when it was brought over to the US, they thought that was too close to Mike Tyson. So they swapped a few of the names around. So, right here and now, we're seeing the, like, the US version of things. So when it was released on the home consoles, you had Street Fighter 2, then you had Street Fighter 2 Turbo, then you had Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, then you had Super Street Fighter 2. Now, the main difference between the four games, the first three, is there was some gameplay tweets just to introduce some balances, and then you could play as the, the, four, the four boss characters, but then in Super Street Fighter... They introduced four new characters, including Cammy, T Hawk, uh, DJ, who's uh, working for M Bison, and, and Fei Long. And Fei Long. Now, Fei Long is the only character who doesn't appear in this movie. Now, why did... they have just given that to Ken Sawada? <laughs> That's the whole point. Why create a character called yes. Sawada when you have a character called Fei Long, which would have completed the set? Makes no makes no sense. That, well, <laughs> you want to talk about sense? All right, here we go. Let's talk about this cast. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do it right here and now. This is how bad a movie can get it wrong. Okay, so we have Ryu, mm-hmm. or Ryu, however you say it. He's it is Ryu. In the game, he's a Japanese American. Yeah, Ryu, and he's mm-hmm. played by a Chinese American. You yeah. got E Honda. In the game, he's Japanese. In the movie, he's a Samoan American. Yep. You got Blanca is a Brazilian, but he's played by an Australian. You've got Guile, who's American, played by a Belgian, obviously. Uh, Ken got- in the game, he's Japanese American, and he's played by a Mexican American in the movie. Uh, Chun Li is Chinese American in the game. Let me get it out, Steve. And she's played by <laughs> you can tell uh, him it too, a Chinese you? actress. Yeah, just wait. Now, now it starts to get even crazier. Zangief, Russian, played by a Polish-German. You've got Dalsim, who's uh, Anglo-Indian, played by an Indian. So that's closest they've got so far. T-Hawk is American-Indian in the game. He's played by an Irish-Filipino in the movie. Cammy is British, played by an Australian. DJ is a Jamaican, played by a Dominican. Dominican Republic. Right. Balrog's the only character they've got it right who's African-American in both the movie and the game. But then you've got Vega, who's a Spaniard, who's played by an American Indian. You've mm-hmm. got Sagat, who is Thai, who's played by a Cherokee. And Bison's an, supposedly British, and he's played by a fucking Puerto Rican. How could you get that much casting backwards? It is like they Answer just Street threw Fire. A, a dart. Oh, look at this saucy look from Sagat. <laughs> Sagat oh. gave the sauciest look to Ken in that shot I've ever seen in a movie. Now that we've you escaped, know. maybe we can get a little intimate later. It comes to thing when Ken Sawada is the bloody character in the entire movie. Yeah. <sighs> oh but, no, um, Guile's yeah. dead. What on earth will happen now for the rest of the movie? 
it would be a shame if it wasn't a double cross. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But yes, uh, in, in talking before, you were mentioning about Benny Urquidez, who was in that last scene doing the, the prison break. And uh, I do have to say, how did Sagat actually see Ken shoot Guile when Sagat was facing the back of the truck and Guile was shot at the front of it? I don't I actually know. think the continuity was high on the list of demands for this movie. <laughs> because if I'm right, I think it had something like a six-month turnaround from pre-production to release. Oh, it was aggressive. It, it was yeah. an aggressive uh, shoot. And obviously the stunt coordinator was uh, Charlie Passoni. I think mm -hmm. I got his name right. Uh, and apparently he only took the job as long as he actually had ample time to train the cast. And obviously if Benny Okidas was um, training them for the fights, but he had no knowledge of video game fighting at all, especially the Street Fighter series. And halfway through shooting... Uh, they realised that all of these characters had different fighting styles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you look at the game, you've got Sumo for E-Honda, uh, you've got uh, Shotokan Karate for Ken and uh, Ryu, which is a made-up form of karate. Um, you've, you've got actual street fighting as some of the characters. You've got, I think, DJ style was Capoeira. Uh, yep. Balrogs, uh, sorry, Zangief was uh, Russian wrestling. So there's yep. all these different types that are going on. But they weren't trained as that halfway through the film, and then suddenly no. were like, uh, and obviously the major heated debate between Charlie Personi and Steven D'Souza came to a point where uh, Charlie Personi was saying to them, well, they realised they hadn't put all the special moves of the characters into the fight scenes. And D'Souza was like, well, why not? And Personi was like, well, they look stupid and unrealistic. And this is where things got really heated because... D'Souza was trying to get 10 extra days of shooting, and uh, it got quite heated, apparently. That doesn't surprise me, because it sounds like this was just a breeding ground for antagonism. And, and the stupid thing is, Capcom loved this movie on release. They loved, and Capcom should have kept as far away from a movie set as possible. I mean, they co-financed oh, yeah. the movie, you know, but they had such a tight reign over every aspect of production that had to meet their approval. As I mentioned, they mandated the release date for December 94. They wanted a Christmas release with it. Mm. And this, this is what instigated the aggressive filming schedule. You know, they always wanted Van Damme as Guile. And, um, it... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry, I mean, sorry, just listening to Listen to that absolutely wonderful Richard the Third type speech from yeah. um, oh, he Raul Julia then, and then uh, Zangief at the end. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I love how earnest he is with it all. <laughs> it is, uh, but yeah, um, it's. I mean, production on this movie was six days behind by the tenth day. That's mm. how much trouble this movie was in very early. And, you know, the producers kind of confronted Stephen D'Souza about it. And he did the old, you know, we're all taught about the old John Ford trick. You know, as soon as someone comes up, she says, oh, you know, you're vastly behind. You'll just tear a page out of the script, you know. <laughs> and he, apparently he did that, you know. Um, but there was the kind of Street Fighter curse, right? And there was 
a major curse around this movie, which I'll talk about here while we're trying to decipher why Chun-Li has this ninja gear in her news van. I'm not going to lie. I have no personal objections. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so one of the major things, uh, the reason why it moved from Thailand to Australia, because it was shot between two countries, halfway through it ended up being shifted to Australia. The main reason why is because the local power station in Thailand uh, went down. And it was because of the amounts, immense amounts of electricity that was powering this production, obviously, in, in Thailand. There was great incentives to film there. You get the great tax incentives to, to come and film a movie of this magnitude in Thailand. And plus, you've got all that beautiful natural scenery around as well. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It's, it's beautiful. But it, they basically ended up saying, all right, I'll go, you know, to save money and try and get us back on schedule, we're going to shift the entire movie to Australia, which it really helped. Because, you know, Kylie Minogue was initially cast um, because of the Australian Actors Guild really wanted an Aussie in the movie as a, as a major character, uh, which is also probably why the Blanca character, when he's in human form, I'll just say that for now, when he's in human form, he's an Australian. Um, but Stephen D'Souza apparently was on a flight on the way to Thailand. He'd seen Kylie Minogue in People magazine. And apparently invited her to come and audition the next day, and she got in. So obviously, when it transferred over to Australia, that was a huge benefit because Kylie was huge mm-hmm. in like Australia. So I'm sure that doors were kind of open to them at the time. Uh, but it wasn't the only curse uh, that they had. I mean, the the major problem in right ripping out the pages of the script to kind of meet them came to bite them in the ass later on when they were editing the movie when they discovered that vital scenes were actually missing from the movie Mm -hmm. and fight scenes were kind of lacking any cohesion and stuff like that. So they basically had to fly the sets out uh, to uh, Australia. I think it was Vancouver at the time. I think it was being done post in Vancouver, so they had to do reshoots over there. So they shipped these entire sets over. But uh, there was... The filming conditions in Thailand were horrible. And it's not the only movie that has suffered from that it's hot it's humid yeah i can imagine it, it well we're recording this it is feels exactly the same hot and humid so only <laughs> yes. you can only just imagine what it'd be like trying to film there yeah well i mean everyone was losing weight uh really quickly you know and and in australia they all managed to kind of put this weight back on because they were Everyone was falling ill, especially from the food. There was a the food was apparently incredibly terrible. Uh, the military in Thailand, right at this time, they'd closed all the roads because they were fearing a coup at the time in the country. So all of the cast and crew were kind of brought in every day by these um, high speed boats and stuff like that. So they would arrive on set soaking wet every day. Uh, the building actually for this scene we're seeing obviously Gael is resurrected he's alive but how long was he seriously lying on that goddamn bed before Charlie showed up you you get the feeling like no just put me here I will be here fine when she comes I leap up and surprise her what he's turned me here (laughs) yes I'm I'm gonna come down (laughs) yes (laughs) this table is nice and cold Uh, yes But apparently this set in particular that was used for the Allied Nations HQ, uh, and this was shot in Thailand, it had a, a tin roof that was kind of riddled with holes. As you can see, all this plastic sheeting up there, there's a reason. 
So it was incredibly loud when it was raining on the roof and when it was sunny, it would shine through the holes in the roof, you know, and entire scenes were cut out from here, from this section of the movie, which is probably why it lacks a bit of coherence at some point. Yeah, um, things just kind of happen, don't they? Yeah. Like she's exactly. escaping right now and uh, what a woman, says Van Damme, um, as Chun-Li vanishes, but things are just kind of happening and they're not they're not really linking in properly yeah i mean i think they were secretly happy to move out of thailand because you know there, there was a crew member who required medical attention they got a skin irritation that was caused by contact with the water in the river that they were filming next to mm-hmm. um the line producer had a heart attack and never returned to set probably just seeing like oh shit mm-hmm. i've got to get off this movie how can i get a heart attack uh, oh, We've got a little actually... Easter egg coming up here. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, little Easter egg. Oh. Is it the barrel? Chun-Li's going into the barrel, and it says Capcom on top of it. Oh, there we go. How clever yeah. of them. they got to get their nodding. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, you know the actual producer who was kind of in charge of the Bond completion for this movie? And uh, Obviously, people in the business will know what that means. But he was actually not accustomed to driving on the other side of the road in Australia, I believe, and he collided with a bus. Where where was he from? Because Australia drives on the same side of the road as the UK. It's one of the few countries that has a left-hand drive. Uh, He probably would have been from America, but knowing this, he probably was supposed to be from America, and they cast him as a bloody Brazilian. Uh, Plus, when they did move to Australia, one of the actors in this movie, who shall remain nameless, was busted at Australian Customs for possessing steroids. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Well, we don't want to. We don't want to stir the uh, the legal tanks no, by no. trying to work out who that was. Speculate on your own time. Yes. Um, uh, on your own time. In Australia as well, because I have to. I have to put it in somewhere. Um, they were working on the now infamous Street Fighter, the movie, the game. <laughs> so what basically... One of the worst rated games ever by PlayStation Magazine. It's not as bad as you think. It is bad. It is bad. It is nowhere near as much fun to play as the main thing. But effectively, you had Capcom looking at Mortal Kombat. And then thinking, ooh, what we need is we need to do uh, video capture of our stars doing their moves and then put that into a game. Um, and so what would happen is you had the the company who wasn't Capcom. Um, I can't remember their name off the top of my head, but they were down in Australia doing all the video capture, which was proving difficult because with Mortal Kombat, you had actual martial artists doing the moves and so things look kind of real here you had actors who weren't fully trained in a lot of the places in the uh the martial arts that they needed to do and some of them didn't even know how to say the names of the special moves <laughs> like uh like tatsumaki senpukyaku which is what uh ryu says as he does his uh spinning kick um or shoroiken as he does his dragon uppercut. Um, but one person was missing. 
because they went through cast member by cast member by cast member, got them in, did the motion capture, recorded lines of dialogue, uh, with the exception of the actor who plays T-Hawk. Right, okay. Because he had already left. He'd wrapped his scenes and had already left, so they basically came to knock on his trailer door. There was nobody there. So they got one of the... uh, programmers of the game to come in and dress up in one of those bison soldier outfits that you just saw there take the box of bison dollars up to the table and his name is blade the character's name is blade and he only exists within within that version of the game and there were actually captain sawada in that game yeah yeah i think yeah sawada was in it (laughs) no fei long yet again Fei Long didn't uh, even make it into the video game. It's that's actually interesting. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There are also two versions of the movie game. There was one which was released on the Saturn, and then there was a more improved version that came out later on on the PlayStation. Um, and, and the it, it it still wasn't good, regardless of which version that you play. But the later iteration of it is far more playable. Especially when compared to the original co-op uh, coin-op version from the arcades. I got a question for you. Shoot from the hip, Eddie. It's always been your style. Why is Guile a colonel in the movie? When he's, he's a not captain in the, in the game. He's a captain in the game. He's a captain in the game. Even I knew that. Yeah. But is it just because they thought it was hilarious how the guy dubbed Sawada as Connell? <laughs> I don't know. We're so picking on that poor guy, and it's like... I, I love him. I think yeah. he's amazing. I want to cast him now. It's great. It's it's just because... It's just because it's... it. I, I still cannot believe that that was the dubbed version. <laughs> I was shocked I when cannot... I heard it myself. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah. Oh, now this is Pretty leading good. up to one of your favourite jokes... Uh, the greatest joke in a movie of all time. I know it's coming in a moment. Yeah. Um, I want to talk. Did you another thing to notice about this film? Jay Trevier, who plays Vega in this movie, mm-hmm. as you notice, all of his dialogue is said off screen. Yeah. And it's the main reason being that he could not actually speak English pretty good. That's just like me saying that sentence. You can say it pretty well, but all of his stuff was recorded offline. But did you know that? The role was initially offered to Fabio. <laughs> I can see that. I can see they that. They actually because... wanted Fabio for it, which I don't know if it's in hindsight. I mean, it's perfect for the character. Yep. But it's Fabio. And the only way you could like beat him in a game is if you like threw a seagull at his face. <laughs> <laughs> it is the greatest joke in Oh, here we go. Here we go. Movie. This is it. They're watching the uh, the truck full of explosives roll towards the yes. tent on a TV screen. No one, no one is going to explain to us who is actually holding the camera that is filming the three main characters. Yeah. The cameraman is actually there, <laughs> and who is filming this shot? Right. But here it is: the greatest line. They look at the truck. It's spiraling <laughs> towards them. They look back at the screen. It's coming towards them. Quick, change, change the, the channel. channel. <laughs> The greatest joke. That is the joke that made me and you friends. Yeah. I remember when we both came out with that at the same time, it was like, okay, that is it. That's, we can yeah. work with this. 
Oh dear. That that's an impressive explosion though for a movie in ninety four. That was probably yeah. most of their budget on that explosion, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe maybe they just invited Herb Gaines and Richard Mirish to the set. <laughs> <laughs> just gave them a box of cigars and said, Just you do what you do. <laughs> Sninky's like, I'm, I'm going to have this story on my gravestone one day. Uh, but yes, um, it has, for a movie that has so many news camera angles, but no explanation of how all of this footage was actually filmed. No. They didn't have drones back in the day. You know, it's, uh, it's really quite something. I do want to actually cover here the fact that it was a sizable hit. And did you actually know that in 2003... Van Damme almost made a sequel to this. Mm, I did hear something about that, yeah. Yes, and um, Damon Chapa and um, Byron Mann were apparently in talks to come back. Uh, Dolph Lundgren was rumoured for a role, which I'm saying he probably was coming in as M. Bison. He's got the chin for it and that, and the stock. I reckon he would have come back. Yeah, those would have been um, some pretty big acting shoes to fill, though. Yes, and... Um, Kylie Minogue, funnily enough, was being recast with Holly Valance. Who so, uh, went on to do Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive. Yeah, instead. Yes. The only good thing about Dead or Alive, that's one episode we'll have to do at one point. If yeah. I go silent during the Holly Valance scene, you'll know why. Yes, well, yeah. what you do with the Holly Valance scene, that is in the privacy of your own room. Yes. Um, that was, was just a skin flick, that movie. It really was for Holly Valance. You and I are also fans of Mortal Kombat, the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I mentioned it on the show a few weeks ago that uh, the actor who played Kano, remind me of his name? Trevor Goddard. Trevor Goddard. Or Aiden Callahan, as I call him. Oh, yes, because you said he looks like the spit of him, and he does. Um, yes. But he basically made the character of Kano. Um, I think he was a, turned him Australian. Yeah. Um, and the makers at the time, Midway, loved that so much that they incorporated that into the game. Now, with this... The timer of the budget down. <laughs> the timer of the budget running down with the amount of cocaine that... Yes. It, keeps, it keeps dropping by an hour. If Van Damme's not on camera, that budget is... Yes. If Van Damme's not on camera, that style's going down like flames. Uh, well, uh, But yeah, sorry. You, you were yeah, saying. I we, we've just we've just got a brilliance Sawada moment coming up here. So I'm just going to wait until... <laughs> Every moment with Sawada is brilliant. I love Van Damme. It's impossible to get in through the air. Connor. <laughs> yeah, if Jean-Claude Van Damme people, was on cocaine, he saying. must have been on some kind of sedative because there's no way that you can deliver that line without (laughs) at at that kind of low level he sounds like he's been drugged Uh, (laughs) a man must be insane (laughs) dude come on Um, but yeah they named they gave a lot of the characters surnames in this one like uh, Ryu Hoshi uh, that was introduced. Chun Li Zhang, that was introduced. Ken Masters and Ken Masters was the only one that actually stuck. A lot of the others have uh, no, pretty much. Cammy White been... did it as well. Cammy White, yep. Um, but most of the others have pretty much been entirely disregarded by Capcom as they've been moving forward. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's that thing of like, oh, we can't just have them of one name. They've got to have a bit of extra personality to them. Um, they couldn't do it in the yeah. writing, but, you know, they just stick a surname on there. I'm sure we are coming up in just a moment to the infamous M. Bison's private lair scene. Oh, it's my favourite. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> this, this torture chamber just has skeletons in it. I know. <laughs> when was the last time they tortured anyone? <laughs> the th- yeah, the thing is, if they were going to leave them in there, that would just make such a stink. You wouldn't want to work in there as a torturer. Do you reckon would they'd you? still be there under M. Bison's giant shopping precinct? <laughs> but the food court goes here. He seems like a guy who would kind of, you know, get sentimental about, you know, places that he's, like, murdered loads of people. Yeah. So I think he'd just keep it. Here we go. Here we Burn go. them costumes. And the introduction of the infamous Ryu and Ken Cole. Yes. And look in the background there. Yes, the wave. The, there's the w- from tsunami the wave from the, uh, yeah, from the bathhouse. See? I, I, I know my stuff. I know my stuff. Uh, but yeah, as I was saying, Van Damme was actually going to remake this movie, and apparently it just, you know, ended up going turn around, then kind of abandoned, and then obviously we ended up with Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li, which is the only Street Fighter movie worse than Street Fighter. <laughs> and apparently Van Damme was offered to return as Guile in that movie, and he turned it down. And that's probably one of the best decisions Van Damme has ever made. Oh, without question. I've that I haven't actually seen that one. I've seen a lot of video game movies. I haven't seen them all. Pretty much anything which has Uwe Boll's name on it, I've avoided like the plague. Um, but even stuff like that, I just heard about it and thought, oh god, this sounds like an absolute. Because this is a car crash of a movie, but it's an enjoyable one. It's cheesy and schlocky and kind of knows it is and stares into the skid. That thing just looked like it was just an. It it looked like yeah. it was like a tornado hitting a puppy home or something like that. And then we get one of the most respected actors in the entire movie of Simon Callow just showing up for this one scene. The same year that he did Four Weddings and a Funeral, he's yeah. here doing this little role in Street Fighter. and Which leads to this amazing speech that... Um, I was, I was chatting to Aiden about this movie just before that we were actually going to do this uh, this kind of watch along and discussion, and he mentioned about this scene is like you can tell he must be on coke on this because the amount of cutaways while he's making this giant speech, <laughs> there's no way he got it all out in one take. Oh God, if that's the case, if that's the basis for having lots of cuts, then what the hell do you think happened in Taken Three, yeah. where he's trying to do get you know over what? the fence? Yeah, you see all of these faces of these troops while Van Damme is talking to them here, and look at all of these kind of reactions, right? Apparently, um, from what I hear, to actually get these reactions, they actually screened Street Fighter the movie in front of them, <laughs> and all of them were just seeing their careers. Look at them; they're all like, "What the fuck? The mo- I didn't need the money that bad." No, what have I, I done? I could have got. I could have sold drugs. <laughs> I, got I could a f- have moved to Salford. I could have oh, gone anywhere. Oh no, there we go. Salford's getting a battering <laughs> again. Look, this one's angry. Like, she's disappointed. <laughs> Simon Callow's like, oh. Oh, God. Call Mike Newell immediately. But Sawada 
is somewhere in this crowd. Oh, look, we're moving to Australia. <laughs> and now yes. everyone's like really happy. We're going to be there. We're going to go surfing. We're going to throw <laughs> shrimps on Barbie. <laughs> so let's all go to the Thai massage parlor first. Yay. Uh, uh, yes, yes. That is. Oh, yeah. That, there's an infamous story. That is a rumor. That is a rumor that Thai massage parlors apparently were very popular. It's not a rumour, it's true. Is that, oh, that one's true, is it? Yeah, apparently uh, producers and people uh, behind the movie had to kind of step in because it, they were taking the piss <laughs> with these massages they were getting. I'm sorry, I love that shot. There's a shot there of just, it must be like the the A the AN, the Allied Nations Secretary's secretary, just kind of walking along holding a shoe with a worried expression. <laughs> It's just she's, but the thing is, she's only holding one shoe. I know. Which means she's the wearing one? the other one. <laughs> but why? And are we actually going to get into the talk here of why they're going in on boats? Um, it was something to do with the fact that they weren't allowed to fly helicopters in there. But in terms the of Thai the government, yeah, the Thai government basically said, "No, we are we are not allowing you to use this airspace." Uh, so, so they devised this thing, and to be honest, that's like a GI Joe toy. That's a GI Joe toy, you know. Oh, that, yeah, it is. that they've had built for it. She's still oh, she's holding the, other the shoe. shoe. Yeah, she's got her other shoe now. You can put them back on. Love you, drenched. Uh, but um, now that they're, they're all going off to battle uh, and uh, using basically every toy line, all the ships are different. So that is definitely trying to shield a GI yeah. Joe. <laughs> I'm sure, a couple of those uh, boats that were featured were like Vietnam um, era machines. Oh, and here we go. Here we got the infamous, the infamous oh. bison boudoir scene. Yes, and Chun Li's in in the closest approximation to her in-game outfit. Yes, but just with a different color. Yeah. <laughs> scene is just so cheesy and it has one of the greatest build-ups to one line that and apparently Ming-Na Wen like is fully aware of how infamous this line has become I reckon she gets it and like said to her all the time and you will notice that he never even though he took the hat off then yeah you don't see him without the hat on without the hat off I should say very true nice but uh I mean, the set design on this room is amazing, I've got to admit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, he's got a cocktail shaker in his bedroom. <laughs> and he just say, shakes it so laconically, doesn't he? <laughs> so you've got to have the comforts. But it's like, he's oh, obviously had all line. of this stuff made for him. But check out those drinks, he's made them in 30 seconds. Well, the thing is, everything was all pre mixed in the mixer. Yes. Oh, the day Bison Grace to Village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. I love that line. <laughs> he delivers it so sincerely as well. Even though his performance is over the top, he just delivers that line just so straight down the middle. Oh, God, it's such a waste. Yeah, I, I have no idea who the... Supposedly, torture master is. He's a big guy. He looks Australian, so I'm guessing they shot this in Australia. The probably he's got did. that Australian outback style look. He kind of looks like the 
guy from um, Commando. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah you know Australian. the yeah. bad guy in Commando. I can't remember his name. Wes. Uh, oh no, Wes was who he was in Mad Max Two. Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells. Yes. Yes. But yeah. Um, and we've with so many characters here. Obviously, we've got uh, Grand Bush mm-hmm. from Die Hard, one of the Agent Johnsons. Yep, no They're relation. Playing... <laughs> yes, no relation. Oh, look at that chandelier! It's beautiful. It's just all human bones. You know, there's... <laughs> <laughs> he's got all that. Just to press the button, he's got the sex soundtrack on go. <laughs> This guy's got the wonderful world of sex, Volume Seven, already lined up. Oh, and the and the oh, the John Wayne Gacy, Gacy painting, yeah, yeah, with the hat on. There's oh, your hit. He's got the connection. mood lighting. Yeah, he's got the mood lighting ready. This guy's been dying for this moment. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that makes me laugh here is like how paranoid they must have been about this scene, and I will explain to you in just a second when she when the fight kind of kicks off between the two of them. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this is actually hilarious. It's wonderful, uh, isn't it? This is why the, I love this movie so much. It, it is just shockingly bad. Oh, yeah, he's getting aggressive. He's pissed off that the music and everything else hasn't worked. Yes. So um, I gave you cocktails and mood lighting. What more do you want from me? <laughs> Let me show you my impressive bison bedsheets. Yes. Available <laughs> to buy bed. at food court. <laughs> <laughs> Where all the major chains want in. But, you know, it's he, he has like everything is just stylized after himself. Mm. Like that fireplace so, behind him has got the same skull shape as the logo. Oh, it's just genius. It's... Um, there's something here that I kind of noticed the other day, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring this up because right, then, I can imagine how paranoid they were about this scene. Obviously, she's going to break free from this kind of rubber with one of her screams from the game. Yeah, yep. boom! Oh, there's a move from the game. There you go. Mm-hmm. Give it all. Right, wait for it when the kind of light smashes in a minute where well, you can almost see one of the production crew behind oh, fire it, extinguisher quite. there there you go was that i <laughs> yeah. missed that then there was a fire extinguisher there's a fire extinguisher behind that light fixture in case it's smashed that's how paranoid they were and the fire extinguisher was well in shot oh yeah i can notice that the other day i was like wow that's that's how paranoid they must have been uh, about this movie but um, the strange thing is, is like the Dal Sim character and the Blanca character kind of really get forgotten about for an entire they do for most of this it. movie. I think the main problem is, what do you actually do with them? Because in terms of the narrative of the game, oh, that is that. Before I carry on, that is a great crossfade. The kind of the that fireplace is. blows up and then it crossfades to his uh, to Bison's face smiling. It's oh, brilliant. Look, hang on a minute. Just for some strange reason. Uh, Guile has packed his home movies <laughs> into the most armoured <laughs> boat on the planet. Yeah, but he, this is he my invisible thought, boat. I, I'm I'm going to war, but I am going to take my personal <laughs> DVD collection of happy moments with me. 
so I can play it for no apparent reason other than to remind people that this character is in the movie. Look at that rear projection there through oh. the canopy of his boat. That is shocking. That is, te- that is terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like I was saying, there's very little that you could actually do with the characters of uh, Dalsim and Blanca because they are the two. They're, they're the two strangest characters out of the game because yeah. in the the storyline of the game is that Blanca was abandoned in the jungles of South America and was effectively brought up by eels, electric eels. So that's how he can conduct electricity. Oh. And the ending of the game is him reuniting with his mum. I've got a ton of those cassette tapes. The fact that he's just like entered it into a um, regular cassette holder, you know. And we're going to get this flashback here of Blanca, uh, even though he's wearing the Brazilian badge upside down yep. <laughs> on his uniform. And then we cut to basically Jason Momoa auditioning for the Hulk in 77. <laughs> it is! It is, yeah. Look, that is, that's got Momoa written all over it. And then you've got a, a, a Mario reject who's playing like this big bulky guard over in the corner. So, yeah, don't do that. Yes, I'll nod instead. But yeah, I mean, um, the guy who was playing Dalsim, uh, Roshan Seth, very respected kind of English Indian actor. Yep. But he had no idea of who he was playing at all. You know, And apparently they, there's a scene that is kind of missing from the movie that they had him wear a skull cap. Okay, so that in one scene he kind of pulls his hair out in anger, right? And he didn't know why. And he would question them, saying, What is going on with the character? Uh, what's happening? And never get any answers. And apparently he just stopped asking and was like, Okay, whatever. <laughs> just go, go, go with it. And that's why the character has, makes no sense at some point. And yeah, he kind of falls into uh, these chemicals later on, which we're guessing is what gives him his stretchy, bendy, limbs. stretchy arms yeah. power that we'll never see. You know, and he's lost all his hair in like record time. You know, but then you've got to kind of ask him, okay, but why are you wearing face paint? Yeah, didn't they put in a line? And we'll get to it in a bit. But didn't they put in a line saying that he shaved his head in like repentance, for the deeds that he did? Oh, does that work? Does it? Apparently so. Yeah, it does explain the face paint, but eh. okay. So here we uh, go. Th- these boats get a shitload of coverage. They get a shitload of coverage in this movie, so they were definitely trying to shield this stuff. And obviously, we've got to talk about Andrew Brynarski as Zangief, yeah. who delivers some of the best stuff. But he's made this career of playing really dumb characters, right? And because obviously, he played Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2003, mm-hmm. but he also played Butterfinger in Hudson Hawk, right? And then in this. He's supposed to be this really dumb character who's doing all of the shit for free and he can't even do a, a thumbs up gesture. It has to come out at the side. You know. So it's like I don't know how they kind of explained this these characters to these people. Apparently they gave them like a huge one sheet full of all information, but it's like who wrote that information? Cuz uh yeah, could... like, oh here we go. Look at this effect. Yeah, yeah the invisible it's invisible. Boat. But it's not invisible. Yeah. Stock footage of a telescope there, of radar. Yeah, because some of the characters don't really make sense compared to their game counterpart. And I, I think, think probably the, the biggest, the most obvious kind of mismatch, I actually think, is Ryu. Because in this, he's pretty much a um, 
an Asian American counterpart to Ken. Whereas in the game, he's very, very stoic. He's focused almost entirely on the craft of fighting. Very little to no sense of humor. Yeah. And he's just incredibly focused. Yeah. It's it's, it's bizarre, the invisible yeah. boat. Oh, my God. Did you want to briefly touch on the animated movie? No. I, no. I want to preserve that as something that you should see if you like Street Fighter. Yeah. I'd, but I'd, I think you should also see this just because you, I think you do need to see it. But also, no. uh, what I do want to touch on is that a year prior to this movie was made, uh, in Hong Kong, they made a movie called Future Cops, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you've you've heard about being a gamer. Which I have, was the yes. unauthorized adaptation of Street Fighter Two. They basically just ended up changing the names and the appearances lightly, and uh, obviously that that drew a lot of influence on the game. Whereas this movie was really patterned by Steven D'Souza on uh, war movies. Uh, Star Wars was an influence. James Bond movies was an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you kind of look at it, really, Damon Chapa, who plays Ken Masters, originally turned this movie down. Uh, but it was another case of his son was a fan of the game, and he saw this as a chance to work with our man there, Raul Julia. Uh, you know, who is an amazingly respected actor. Oh, he was incredibly work. respected. You know, Kiss of the Spider Woman, mm-hmm. Romero. Uh, Tequila Sunrise, he was an amazing actor. Uh, And obviously, you know, most people know him as Gomez Adams in the mainstream, but he was a very serious um, actor. And some people see it as, oh my God, you know, the last thing he did was M. Bison. But um, it's something he really enjoyed doing, even though he was terminally ill. He was was bringing his family to set every day. You know, they were helping him through it. And his kids who love Street Fighter got to see him as M. Bison. You know, it's... It's kind of sweet in that nature. Yeah. It's just a pity that if you are going to have something as your final movie, that it was this. Nearly. <laughs> you... I love that ad-libbed line he just gave. Some guy. You didn't see this, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that was ad-libbed. But um, I, I always think that how awesome this movie would have been if that eye patch on Sagat just moved eyes every other scene. <laughs> Yeah, just like the hump and um, on what's his name in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. one scene it could be just dead center in his head and both eyes are on show. Yeah, I would have loved that. <laughs> Didn't you have um, an eye patch? What eye patch? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes. Oh, um, um, there's yeah. your um, the game console. The game oh, from there the we arcade go. system. Yep. Just a, a nice little throw in there. Um, we also want to talk about. Um, Grand Bush. I was about to say this a moment ago, but it's not the first time he's actually played a boxer because he was the boxer in that episode of Police Squad. Yes, he was. The champ. Yeah. The champ. <laughs> was it? Every time he was coming out with a... He was trying to do a Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Was, was it roses are red, this. violets are blue, we're going to box. Sugar is, no, sugar, sugar is, is sweet. sweet. I, I'm going to break, yeah. <laughs> break your face. Yeah, I'll break your face. But he'd come out with these, like, um, Muhammad Aliisms, where he's talking about like kind of nursery rhymes and stuff like that, and he'd end it with a line of violence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, as we were mentioning about Hasbro handling the toy line, and the toys were terrible. Oh, they were. 
they 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 fell apart so easily because the tops and the bottoms were basically held together by an elastic band. Yeah, it was it was the classic GI Joe toys that break within a day. Yeah, but. I noticed something interesting when I was looking up before because I was looking uh, at pictures of, of Street Fighter and things like that. And um, I saw, I remember the picture of Guile's action figure looked a bit like Ron Perlman with the Guile haircut. Right? It looked nothing like Van Damme. And then I saw a picture of Van Damme's stunt double in this movie and realised, holy shit, it's actually a figure of him because he looked just like the action figure. Right, I haven't seen his stunt double. No, no, there, there is a picture of them both standing together. Uh, you'll see it, and he, it does actually look like him. And I think we've also got to admit uh, that um, Stephen Lang uh, was actually the producer's first choice for Bison. Mm-hmm. Yep. He seems yeah. to. He seems to basically he be, would have been uh, a better choice. I, in terms of an actual character, yes. Yeah. In terms of the performance, no, not a chance. This movie basically lives for me because of Raul Julia's performance in it. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll admit that. Um, okay, so here we have Blanca, who has uh, now broken free. Jason Momoa. It's completely different actor from the Brazilian slash Australian guy who was playing him. So yeah, it's a definitely incredible Hulk moment, then, isn't it? You got Bill Bixby, yes. you got Lou Ferrigno. You pretty much got the whole tech yeah. cast. Uh, this was actually a, a set. You see that tower thing there? Yep. Uh, and this is going to get into the story of how the fire started, which we will come to in just a moment. Uh, the temple explosion. Yes, that was uh, that must have been really fun for them. So now we're we're getting into the kind of action here. Oh, approaching oh, the denouement. That was the kind of reverse Hurricane Rana there. Mm-hmm. I think we can uh, forgive uh, all of the movies that are now doing it. Have you just opened another beer? I have opened another beer. Yes. You don't think I'm doing this sober, do you? I know, I've just been drinking water. I've been fine. There's Simon Callow on obviously one of the pickups because it's like, oh, we paid for him. We might as well get him to deliver one or two more lines. They probably filmed that in the car on the way to the airport. And just like, oh, Simon, we just need you to do a quick scene. Okay, just do it in the car as you're driving me there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, as you can tell, if you look really closely enough, this is definitely a set because it's it tiny. Looks, yeah, it's tiny. It looks fake, mm-hmm. and um, you know parts of it kind of just look like it's polystyrene or something. What's weird is that shot is Guile pulls the legs out from underneath someone and then kind of smacks him in the middle of the back, and then the next shot he's unconscious. Yes, my I it do many people get knocked unconscious if you hit them in the back? Is that a thing? I don't know. Any time of. If I've ever hit anyone in the back, I'm pretty sure they've never gone unconscious. No, they usually go, Oh, can help me back! <laughs> Random tarantula shot there. Yep. Not explained and never played off again. I think it was just something that was just lying around. Let's get a tarantula shot in. So we have 
Guile now coming down here, giving one of his lines saying he's too old for this shit. Pretty much. A nice lethal weapon throw there. Then we have, of course, the people we've forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, we've basically yeah we Fuck. haven't even touched on the fact that we haven't even touched on the actual plot of this movie with the fact that all these guys are going into Bison's headquarters to try and save a bunch of hostages. No, it's uh, it's one of those forgotten plot points. Yeah, you just get so that- wrapped up in everything else, you actually forget what the whole purpose of it all is. We've got the the great Miguel Nunez there, uh, actor from the Dominican Republic, as well as African-American actor. He did a lot of comedies. He also did the TV series Tour of Duty, which was a favourite of mine. Miguel Nunez, was he in Joanna Man, or am I thinking of someone else? He could have been, but I haven't seen that. No. <laughs> that, that just sounds like one of those movies I wouldn't watch. I think, it, I think it's that a movie... That sounds like a cross-dressing comedy, if ever. It is. It, it's, oh, for it's, God's sake. Seriously? It's, a, it's about someone... I think it's about someone who wants to become a basketball player, and he's not allowed to actually play. So he pretends to be a woman and joins like a female <laughs> basketball team. So it's, it's basically um, Shakespeare in love. Basketball. Basically, yeah. Yeah. He's probably not in there, but I'm sure that the name sounds so familiar. I'm sure he was. If I'm wrong, then I hold my hands up and apologize. But uh, yeah. Oh yes. So so now the the infamous plot of um, the hostages suddenly uh, yeah. coming back into light, and then Van Damme's coincidentally just showed up in the room looking for Charlie, looking, looking for Charlie, because <laughs> he obviously hasn't had enough this movie. His his whole plot line for Guile is looking for Charlie. <laughs> I know. Oh. It writes itself. It does. I mean, to be fair to Van Damme, he was very, very open about this particular part of his life. And, uh, and as far as I'm aware, he has cleaned himself up properly. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's a whole is, different man. Oh, yeah. Look, there we go. I want to know how the hell he recognises Charlie. Is it the dog tags? It is, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Because... Has he still got them on, though? I can't tell. Because he doesn't... He's not even the same actor who was the guy at the beginning who played the Brazilian version. There's no dog tags there. No. Nope. He basically just called him Charlie. He looks nothing like Charlie. That's just that an unpaid extra who had a good build, and he said, "Yeah, just let's get you in a makeup chair for a couple hours a day and stick this ridiculous ginger wig on you." Yeah, and uh, you can be this video game character that has just got everyone's eyes rolling. What they could have done, and perhaps should have done, is really there. Blanca looks like um, like the Incredible Hulk. Just yeah. basically green skin, a couple of uh, prosthetics put on, and an orange wig. It might have been better if they'd have gone more with the game, kind of bulked him out a bit more, perhaps put some hair down his back, made him a bit more bestial in that way. But eh, I guess they probably didn't have the budget for the makeup. Yeah. I reckon that was just one of those last-minute decisions where it's like, well, we don't really know how to create Blanca, but hey, it worked for Lou. Yep, it let's, did. Let's, let's just paint him green. <laughs> it helped that the uh, the two bags of chemicals that were pouring into him was the same colour as his skin and his hair would turn out to be. Uh-huh. Is uh, the red or orange plasma. And uh, 
well, it's just green paint. Oh, and there he goes chewing the scenery again. He's Richard the Third ingot. This is it. Oh, totally, just properly hamming it up. So here we have uh, a bit more. Uh, it's he hasn't started going bald or anything yet. I'm kind of wondering where the scene where he actually started tearing his hair out would have been because right towards the end when the place is blowing up, it doesn't fit in with the timeline, does it? Because he, he should really be bald now. Yeah. He he should be bald now, just basically, you know, oh, I've been tearing my hair out trying to keep him good or whatever. But no, he just shows up again in about 10 minutes' time. Shaved head. <laughs> uh, All right. So here we have everyone gathering to see all of these extras for the day supposedly getting killed by the big green monster whilst uh, strangely enough the the main cast members just watch surely they should they should be in there as well there were three characters from the very first street fighter game which isn't worth playing unless you're interested in kind of like game history it's a terrible terrible game uh, there are three characters that made it into street fighter 2 there was Ken and Ryu and Sagat. And uh, in this, in a few minutes, you get to see um, Sagat with his shirt off and he's got a scar across his chest. And that scar was given yes. by Ryu. Yes. Dragon punching him. And, uh, and, that, and throughout the next few games, they were antagonistic to each other. And then I think in the recent one, or I think it was Street Fighter 4, actually, they've now become a bit more friendlier. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just absolutely present the fact that all of uh, M. Bison's guys couldn't even shoot into a hole of hostages. They were hitting the closing doors they were coming while it was still a massive gap. They've not shot anyone yet. I know. Not he, one bad guy has shot anyone. I wouldn't even bother with the guns, lads. He takes cover in front of a wall, not behind a wall, in front of a wall, and the bad guys still can't hit him. Yes. And look, you've got an entire army of guys. There's about 30 guys here now shooting at just Kylie yeah. and T-Hawk. It reminds me of that scene in um, Hot Shots 2 where <laughs> where Charlie Sheen's just shooting into a crowd of oncoming bad guys and they're just one after another just dropping like flies and into a great big pile of bodies on the floor. Yeah. And now here we have... Everyone's just completely going for it. We're now going to get the infamous E Honda Zangi fight we've all been waiting yep. for. E Honda's got his top off now. And we are soon going to be witness to one of the most racist moments in a PG movie you will ever get to see. Yeah. <laughs> that involves Ken Sawada. I'm sure Ken Sawada would have seen this scene and said, You what? Would have been, you what? Kono, you cannot put this. It is offensive to my country. We're probably so, going to get so much stick for all the Ken Sawada bashing that we're doing in this one. I, I love Ken Sawada. I, I've grown to really appreciate this guy. Uh, so here's where they go. They, they slam through 
the tarpaulin floor. <laughs> yeah. Which all of a sudden has gone... You know, yeah. you can fall through it. Of course, why not? And then it's a case of everyone just branch out and go and fight the people that uh, you're kind of matched up with in the movie. It'll work out nicely that way. Uh, these bad guys have shot absolutely nobody. Little touch no. that you might not have noticed is um, uh, on the um, there was a plunger earlier that he was used to set off an alarm system and on the uh, computer monitor there, they're actually using Esperanto as opposed right, to okay. any actual language. Well, any actual native language, I should say. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting fact I hadn't considered. Oh, yes, there you go. Oh, and here we go. All the guys in blue helmets finally show up for the big showdown Ooh. at the end. But it's all right, because Van Damme's taken out every single person with a machine gun so far. And we just had uh, kind of a hurricane spin kick from Ryu. Yep. A little ah, one. Now, Back spin kick. Now, here we go. Uh, this, this is going to be centered around the, the explosion of this temple, which happens... Oh, actually, no. I think it's a little right bit later, end. yeah, because they're it all is. trying to escape. The story Spoiler is worth it. I, I, will, I will get the story out in a little while. Um, but some uh, extra kind of little things here that we just kind of have to mention is um, we're going to see the Ryu Vega rematch in just a moment. There's DJ uh, being the smartest person in the movie by just leaving and managing to... He like... actually is the smartest person in the movie, isn't he? <laughs> yes. He's, he's just like he's looking out for himself. Paid. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yes. So uh, here's the bit now. Oh, Ken's going to run out, but Ryu's suddenly grown a conscience and he's going to stay. So we obviously know what's going to happen on this bit. Um, but did you kind of know that this movie does actually hold a record? Mm, no. Well, I kind of... It's one of those. I know that it does, but it's a fact that's buried so deep in my brain, I'll be damned if I can pull it out. What is the record? Okay. This movie holds the record for the biggest one-day drop in box office takings in history. Oh, <laughs> so, seriously? Yes. This movie opened... Uh, at 3.1 million on its first night, okay, which is impressive. Yeah, yeah, you know, for 1994. The next day, 1.7 million. Oof! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> oh, that that must have been uh, quite a hard pill to swallow for pretty much everyone. Okay, go and pull so, your knife out, Van Dam. Oh yes, yeah. yeah it's, this is the. Uh, this was a play on another movie. I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I know. I've been seen done it in a movie before. And it's it's a very obvious play on it, but the fact that we can't remember what it was. And he turns around and naturally all these guys are there. He's thinking yeah. that his knife has basically scared them away. It hasn't. Nice little laugh for the kids. They would have loved it. Yeah, and right now there's going to be people listening to this going, it was this movie, you idiots! Well, let us know in the comments section. Yeah. I'll hop over to Facebook, Twitter, all the rest of it. You know by now. So was this the first kind of selfie with a camera that M. Bison was taking here because all these other men have been killed by their own weapons so far? Yeah, it does raise a question, and you raised it earlier. Who is operating all these cameras? (laughs) 
There's no end left. There's only M. Bison. Do you think that there is someone just off to one side with kind of like a, a luminous jacket which says press or cameraman yeah. and everyone's just told, Check don't that. shoot this guy? There's Raul Julia giving it swivel eye lunacy. Oh, yes, the swiveliest. <laughs> so apparently with, um, I mean, that's a stand-in. You can tell a mile yeah. away. That's not Raul Julia. But I believe that they filmed all of his fight stuff first. Um, so all of this fight stuff was between Van Damme and Raul Julia here was mm. actually filmed right at the front of the movie, I believe. Mm. And, and then everyone else's fight scenes were much later. Yeah, because he had he had kind of like a I think he had kind of like a downturn and then briefly came back up. So it was it was just tough to keep track of. Hey, look at that, Captain Sawada got a few punches in there. Yeah, worth every penny. And there, right there in that scene, he looks like he can actually act properly. Yes, because he's not talking dub. Yeah. And here we go, the most racist scene that they could possibly give to a bunch of Japanese actors by having a giant Godzilla riff. They're, they're even looking at the screen saying, what in the hell have we yeah. signed up for? Complete with the Godzilla sound effects as well. How much do you think they had to pay Toho to use those sound effects? Oh my god! I'm I'm surprised at some point, you know, there wasn't a, a Godzilla statue in the background. Yeah. You know, may, maybe it's in M. Bison's love case, <laughs> like in Kentucky Fried Movie, where it's oh, golden Godzilla. Yeah. I reckon he's got just a, a gigantic um, Godzilla vibrator or something. And a, you, a Godzilla vibrator. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't even want to know. <laughs> The sad Grease thing fire. is, the sad makes thing... genuine sound effects. Oh, oh, that is putting makes it so... echo. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> so I've sat through this movie. I had to have some smut in it. Okay. Um, yeah. So yes, the fight yeah. scene here. Obviously, we've got a double. Yep. Because a lot of the shots you can say here are not showing Raul Julia's face. It's yeah. Chun-Li or oh, Balrog's getting his punches in. There we yep. go. Yep. And um, the the wind up he... spin. Yeah, where did he get the boxing gloves from? Well, did they we are in that? a dojo. They, they're going through like the uh, the Bison Troopers kind of dojo area, so he probably picked them up. Oh, right. There's um, a kind of like an in, an attempt at uh, Guile's inverted kick. Yeah. There is his actual. I think it's the hurricane. Oh, there kick. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. There we go. In case you missed it the first time. Oh look, he's been kicked to the back of the head. He's surely going to be dead. He should have been punched no. in the back. He would have been knocked oh, out. Oh, there we go. We're now getting him electrocuted. Raul Julia acting full Richard III of being electrocuted by falling onto a console. It's like watching Ian McKellen being in the Chuckle Brothers, isn't it? <laughs> well, there's an opening. It really is. Oh, so, yeah. Right. Right. We have taken the piss out of uh, Sawada's delivery throughout this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because let's be honest, he's not a native speaker. But right now, we have Jean Claude Van Damme, who also isn't a native English speaker, but speaks it very, very well, who's about to deliver the worst stuttering paused of. <laughs> A 
reaction. It's horrible. Yeah. Here we go. And he is alive. <laughs> Do not fear. Raul Julia is just using Oh Superconductive Electromagnetism. electromagnetism. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Here we go. DJ showing why he is the smartest guy. He picks up this huge chunk of uh well it's his chest of what he believes is money. Yeah. But Pity it is it's not. That little plot point from earlier on. Yeah. Where he was actually in the room where the bison dollars were in that chest and suddenly he's forgotten that the bison dollars are in the same chest that he steals. Uh, Ken seems to want this really tacky vase. God knows why. So we've got a very early touchscreen here. Very yep. good. Right down at the bottom there, yeah, communica. There's but your... This... Um... This is the first actual attempt of stationary cameras in a fortress when every other camera in the movie has been like someone holding it. Yeah, there's there's no panning in this one. There's oh, no, no zooms or anything. So someone actually knew what they were doing with this scene. And here we have Damon Chapper not being able to pronounce the name Ryu or Ryu. He yep. calls it Ryu. I think there was some discussion when they were making it as to uh, what it was supposed to be. And it is Ryu. Right. And uh, I love that shot right there of Vega just kind of putting the mask onto his face. Not putting the straps behind his head to hold it in place. No, just putting the mask onto his face. It glues to his face. It like suction cups to it. (laughs) But yet again, did you notice, as I said before, he delivered that line of dialogue once the mask was up to his face. Yep. So yes, th- here's our scene now of Raul Julia. He actually starts levitating, mm-hmm. and I remember the point where I think my mother and my stepfather were watching this movie with me, and they just shook their heads and tutted, and it was like, "This is the uh, this is the point where we lost you. <laughs> <laughs> you were incredibly patient for the last eighty minutes." Yeah, but it's. It's right to the game. He does a lot of uh, moves which involve him kind of flying across the screen. Yeah. And uh, now we have here, obviously, the the very um, big references to Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Where it comes to uh, Ryu and Vega. I mean, he's even got the claws on his hands. Yes. And he has uh, pretty much the same scar marks that Bruce Lee had in Mm. Enter the Dragon as well from those claw marks. (sighs) So... So it's it's very well done, though. I, I've got to admit, uh, I do like the Vega character. I think it was criminally underused in yeah. this movie. Yeah, because uh, he had the right look. The oh, he different. looks perfect. Out of I think probably out of all of the characters, that is just the closest yeah. to the video game counterpart. The tattoo, yeah. the braided hair, the, the chisel physique. It looks fantastic. The the best thing about the Legend of Chun Li is their version of Vega in it. I have got to admit, I really did like it. Mm. Uh, and he is just a lethal, silent assassin. And he is the best thing in a movie oh. that has Chris Klein and Michael Clark Duncan and, <laughs> you know, playing these roles. And just during that little little fight there between Ryu and, um, and Vega, he did a little 
double palm forward and there was a flash of light. Yes. Just like the uh, the fireball. And, and the kind of interesting thing here is, uh, oh, you get one more little line of dialogue from Vega there saying, die. Mm-hmm. But um, it's funny that Damon Chapa and Wes Studi, Sigat and Ken Masters, respectively, uh, are the only two people from the entire cast who have military records for real. Yes. So um, Damon Chapa was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. which is why you probably also see him in Under Siege as well, which seems to get mentioned on our show pretty much every other week. We're going to have uh, to do one of these to Under Siege, oh, no. aren't we? Yeah, Under Siege 2 especially. Um, Wes Studi was in the Army National Guard, and he was actually a Vietnam veteran also. Mm. So, yeah. Yep. So they were the paired radio. off against each other in the movie, and everyone else didn't have a military record or any kind of service record whatsoever. Mm. But uh, it would be interesting. I bet there was a bit, real bit of competitive spirit between the two of them because it's Navy and Army, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because all, all the people in the Army think that the Navy are wimps and, you know, the Navy probably think bad of the Army as well because I think that's just the way that most military forces do. What, the one you were in is the best, regardless of any evidence to the contrary. <laughs> yes. Uh this is, uh, I would love to have seen the actual reactions to Raul Julia when they say, we're going to have you flying at the end of this movie, delivering this scene-chewing stuff and swivel-eyed yeah. lunacy. And As I, I beheld Satan as he fell from heaven. <laughs> yes, and then just gets kicked into a TV. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, yes, we, we are rapidly approaching... Um, the infamous, now infamous temple explosion, which we will kind of cover. But now it's time for everyone to kind of reunite. Yeah. Uh, finally rescued the hostages. That they, I'm telling you, the filmmakers forgot about these guys. <laughs> they did. It was probably in dailies. They probably got to the end yeah. and thought, oh, wait, we forgot yes. to mention those sausages. We're going to have to do some pickups. Yes. Yes. Chun Lee was crying with joy there that the movie's finally ending. <laughs> And was they're just gonna run past E Honda yeah. and Zangief who are still fighting and then he just says, See ya yeah. <laughs> and leaves him. And the face on uh, the blood on his face kind of looks like his uh, in game makeup as well. Yeah. That's that's true. And then yeah. we spot DJ who is still hauling this box through this temple. Um obviously we've we've gotta make it very clear that all of the blue helmets have escaped. And I don't think one of them got shot no. in the entire movie. Plenty of red helmets going on. So now we, we reveal here that DJ may have been the only person in this entire operation who got paid. Yeah. And it's such a shock to Andrew Brynarski as Angief that he actually could have got paid. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I'm sure some of the extras on this movie you got suddenly paid? found out. Wouldn't it be funny if that was an actual jab at all of the extras who didn't get paid and were just doing it for experience? Yeah, I know all about doing uh, work on movies and not getting paid, but that's uh, that's a story for another time. Well, you, you get a free DVD of 12. Yeah. So, now, obviously, the other plot point that they've already kind of forgotten about here is that Blanco is still there. And uh, whilst everyone else is escaping... 
And obviously, we, we have a little bit of Gil Power moment over yep. bunches in the hair. Uh, so they're all escaping the infamous trapdoor, which then suddenly they're all rescued by dun, 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 Zangief, who decides, well, I could have been paid, but now I'm just going to help the bad guys I've been trying to kill for an entire movie Yeah, get out of this door. And then DJ escapes out of a nifty little escape hatch with Sagat in tow. How many of these bloody hostages have got? I don't know. There weren't that many in the pit. (laughs) They just found some. They've been running around in circles. And here he is. With the shaved head. So he's lost his hair. He's got undressed for some strange reason. (laughs) For some reason his shirt's gone. And his pants are torn. There weren't anything like that in the last scene. No, unless there must have been a deleted scene where Dalsim uh, kind of does like the stretchy stuff. Yeah. Well, it's apparently he he tears the hair out of his head, which is why his head's bleeding. Okay, uh, and now you know you've got everything kind of blowing up, yeah. and Bison's still hanging there. Um, but there is no no real reason behind that. So it's, it's obviously just one of those things they've cut Not out. Not at all. Maybe. Them pulling his own hair out was a bit extreme for a PG-13, maybe. All right, there is the explosion. The temple yes. is uh, going up. Okay, so, fill us in. Now let's tell the story. So it was obviously an exterior set, and only 25% of this set was supposed to blow up. Uh, it's mainly because safety reasons, because as you've seen in that scene, a lot of the key cast were around it on the actual shot that it was supposed to do. So it was only supposed to be 25% of this set that blew up. But naturally, it kind of got out of hand, and the whole set went up in flames. It cost $240,000 of damage. Ooh, and ouch. the shot ended up in the movie, so that's the one thing. So, yes, it was uh, one of the last major disasters in Thailand. And then, obviously, we, we've got to do a huge kind of payoff here. We discover to nobody's secret, well, no one's surprised, but DJ, apparently, that the chest contains bison dollars. Yeah. The exact same bison dollars in the exact same chest that he handed to Sagat earlier on in the movie. (laughs) And the fact that Sagat even didn't realise it was the exact same box that was handed to him earlier. Well, I guess he didn't see that, did he? (laughs) He did not. One thing I have just noticed is they were taking all of the bison troopers away. And yet Zangief there was one of Bison's right-hand men, and he's just stood with the main cast. <laughs> yes. He's, he's not even, you know, being clapped in irons or anything. He's just stood there with them. <laughs> and look at this, you've got all of the main characters all coming together now. None of the extras or anything. Sawada's kind of fudged his way in there to yep. be with them. So uh, it's like, oh, we're crying because this movie is over. Yeah. But, you know, they're all genuinely all happy. And it's the moment, uh, how about you guys uh, come back for the sequel? No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm washing my hair. No, please. I mean, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I mean, all of them, they're so hopeful. Look at them. They're all like, this movie is going to make a shitload of money. And then, obviously, Zangief's big payoff. Van Damme teaches him how to hold how his to thumb do a up thumbs the right up way. Properly, yeah. 
There's the reveal. The last shot of uh, Raul Julia is on money. Yeah. And uh, he's still holding his thumb up. (laughs) That was obviously an insert shot. I think the shot was supposed to continue. It probably was. And and they chucked that in there. So now Chun-Li's trying to get a bit groinal, even though Cammy White's there in the background, who's doing him for real. Oh, I wonder if that led to any uh, any tension. Probably not, because from what you say, everyone got on really well with Kylie Minogue. But yes. uh, but they let's pay off by doing the pose. Yeah, there you go. Everyone basically strikes the victory pose from the game. From character. the game, and that is it. Yeah, there's thirty-five million down the swing. Fire con Dios. So yeah, um, you know what. And there, there you go. Charles Pastrani gets his name right under there. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I mean that is Street Fighter. It's it's baffling. <laughs> it really is because it's one of those movies that it should not have been made. When you actually see the movie, you struggle to understand just how someone could have signed off on all of this stuff. Oh, actually, there, An Soldiers, second name down, David D. D'Souza. Ah, well, nepotism rules. Yeah, no. Get You're your going to get in there somewhere. But yeah, it's one of those movies which shouldn't work. There is nothing in this movie that should work. Nothing in this should have actually been made. <laughs> but yeah, everything. Capcom, yeah, signed off on it. Um, uh, See, Capcom loved this movie. Yeah. They thought it was the greatest thing ever. And it's like. Never mind Van Damme, how much coke were you on? Yeah. Because that was just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say yeah. one thing, though, as, this, as we head straight into the credits and we're seeing lots of D'Souza names pop up. Um, oh, my God, Brian Cox was in the movie as a special <laughs> effects supervisor. He was there looking at the stars, thinking how they could influence him. Different Brian Cox, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I have I, different Brian Cox in mind. I do want to say one thing. We have uh, ripped on this movie a bit, but like we said earlier, I do actually genuinely, unironically love this film. So I do want to give a great big thank you to everyone that worked on it for just producing this marvellous piece of schlocky entertainment that has just kept me happy throughout the years. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm actually going to say um, thanks to Stephen D'Souza. Uh, for the main reason being, I mean, he really fought to just have seven main characters in this movie. And that's when he talked to Capcom, it was a case of, you know, he wants to focus on seven so the audience can keep track. And it's the, it's the golden rule in mm-hmm. filmmaking when it comes to working on ensemble movies. Seven, you know, seven samurai, seven dwarfs, um, you know, it's easier to kind of keep the lucky number seven. Yeah. And Capcom agreed to it. And then they just started sneaking, oh, two more. Oh, and then two more. And then two more. And and they meticulously worked their characters in over time to the point where you just had to accept it. And that is why a lot of these characters are just like extended cameos. I think they but, did a better um, job with it than they did with Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That was oh, terrible oh. for just shoehorning characters in. With no actual connection to the plot. 
Filming yourself taking a shit is doing better than Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah. It is just one of the worst things I think I've ever seen. I felt so sorry for a majority of that cast. Yep. Um, some of them probably listening. But yeah, you did a great job considering you yeah. know, what was going on with that movie. But yeah, you, fine. You've, you've got me through Street Fighter. And um, it's, it's not as bad as I guess I, I probably remember it was. But I guess I have got to tell you how I lost 78 quid on this movie. Go on, hit us with the 78 pound story. I was so expecting this movie to be the greatest thing ever because I was a Street Fighter fan. This also coincides with how my love of Street Fighter died. (laughs) But um, it turned out that uh, I wanted this movie as soon as it was being released on video. And there was a video store... Uh, in town, I was like, when Street Fighter comes out, can I buy a copy of the rental copy uh, as soon as you get them in? And the fucker charged me £78 for it. Mm. Right? Which I found out years later, because I was a teenager, I was only like 14 or something like that, maybe 15, uh, and I found out later that they buy them in bulk really cheaply and get their money back on the rentals so that fucker basically bought his entire street fighter um rental collection with money that i paid him for one copy right so yeah i was pissed off about it and that has always left this really dark thing i got the i got the movie and then i sat and watched it and then i was like i paid a shitload of money for this and i i don't know how i'm ever going to recover from that but I yes, believe but the, the phrase the saw is, you coming springs to mind. It did. But I mean, the good news is I got a free copy of the soundtrack on CD as well. And if anyone's heard the soundtrack from this movie, that's probably worse than the actual movie. Yeah, we just had a few this things. Horrible song that's being played them. over the credits called Why Tell Me Why nah. by Chage and Asuka. Fuck. Anyway, yeah. that's my story. And that's Street Fighter for this week, so. Uh, I guess it wasn't that bad. It was, it was a unique episode. I've guess gotta admit, it could have been better with Deep Rising though. Well, we'll have to do Deep Rising next time, unless oh, we put it to a vote and something else takes its place. Just have to Ugh. see. But before we go, we should have one last scene. Oh shit! I hope it's not on my version. Oh, it is. There, oh, there we go. We are actually watching this separate in two separate houses, by the way, I will admit. Uh, and I do have this end scene, which is doing the carry moment that yep. has been seen in every kind of movie around this era to say the villain will be back. We're going to have his hand come out of the ground, a load of rubble. <sighs> Tools options world domination replay uh yes and we ended up with the legend of chun Li decades later that was street fighter that was one hour and 42 minutes of bad dialogue cheesy acting and just it should not have been made but we're also very very glad that it did because it was able to give us such joy and we hope that you've had such joy watching it this afternoon as well I'm just kind of hoping that you're still here <laughs> because uh, we gave up nominate five for this shit. Oh, no. Uh, no nominate five this week. But um, 
It's it's strange kind of revisiting this movie because I have not seen this since oh, it must have been the mid two thousands when I kind of accidentally came across. No, it's, I didn't. That's not that's a, that's a complete lie. I didn't accidentally come across this at all. I watched it because of as I kind of mentioned when we were watching the movie, the scenes here that were originally cut out by the BBFC. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to, when it was finally properly released to see what the hell would the BBFC cut out of this and what have they left us with, you know? And, uh, you know, as you can see, it was very small stuff. Yeah. But, my God, you know, th- that's something that deserves to be put into a box and blown up. Yeah, but now, like Andy said, we have no nominate five this week, so I guess we've only got one thing left to ask, right? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? I would have been happier if another movie was in the box other than when we cracked open Street Fighter, to be honest. The die is cast, the job is done. Now nothing to do except to wash the blood off our hands. And at least it wasn't The Legend of Chun-Li. No. Not even I, as a video game fan, decided to watch that one. I thought, nope. Nope, staying well clear. It might go in the alternative box. But anyway, uh, while I'm going for a rummage here... What is What's in the Box, Steve? What's in the Box is the point of the show where Andy tries to improve my movie education by getting me away from such fodder as Street Fighter and trying to get me towards films which are more widely and critically accepted. So he's going to pull out the name of a film from the box, which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. If I haven't seen it, then I go away and watch it the night before that we record our next episode. If I have seen it, then we keep going through the box until we find one that I haven't seen. Easy. Simple. So much so, even I can understand it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You're going to war this week. Oh, so, God, obviously, um, if Street Fighter wasn't enough to wet your war whistle, <laughs> see, I managed to get that out. Uh, you're going back to Iwo Jima, my friend, because uh, if you've not seen Clint Eastwood's Flags of Our Fathers, that is what you are watching. Uh, I have not seen Flags of Our Fathers. But I also know that there's there's a second one, isn't there? Called Letters from Iwo Jima, which I was actually planning to pull out of the box the week afterwards <laughs> if you hadn't seen this. But okay. you know what? Now that you're such a smart ass, you can watch both of them. All right, then. Well, we'll watch uh, Flags of Our Fathers this week and uh, Letters from Iwo-, Iwo Jima next week. No, you won't. No, 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 no. No. Just for pulling that up, you've got to watch both of them this week. Ah, that's not in because the rules. That's not in the that... rules. Well, I, I rewrote the rules because it's my game. Uh, so basically, oh, right, that's it, is it? No, I, I'm allowed to alter the rules if it plays out. I've got another one I'm going to alter down the line at some point. But flags of our fathers and letters of Iwo Jima actually do go together because one is told from the American side of the conflict and the other is told from the Japanese side. So effectively, it's one movie kind of split into two. Mm. And I don't think you'd have the same effect if you watched them weeks apart. Mm. And I'd be interesting to see what your take on both sides is. To see mm. which one you preferred. So, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. There's foul play going on here and I don't like it. <laughs> but it's, I've just had to sit through that shit for an hour and a half. Oh, come on, you loved it. I, I gleaned enjoyment out of it, although when I listen back on it, I'm probably going to hear myself crack at a couple of points. Very probably. Uh, 
Yeah, we can shake the rule box for a week and see what letters fall out. All right. And the letters then. this week say F and L, flags of our fathers, and letters from Iwo Jima. And we look forward to hearing Steve's feedback on both movies next week. Yes, well, uh, well, I do present my feedback on both movies. Uh, if you'd like to write in and tell Andy that he's being an arsehole, then you can do by joining us on Facebook or Twitter, uh, both at Poddywood. You can follow us on Reddit at the subreddit r slash Poddywood, or just send us a carrier pigeon, whichever. Or, or just do what everyone else does. Call me an arsehole on Facebook, like the complete gutless, spineless coward you are. Yes. Yes, uh, but I think that's it for today, don't you? Yeah, short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad this week's over. To be honest, I want to get back to some kind of normality after the the pressure of this week and getting this episode together. You know, for those people who may think, oh well, you know, this episode wasn't as eventful because they didn't have a guest. Go screw yourselves. You have no idea the pain that we went through to get this right this week. Oh, the pain, the pain of it all. And uh, we have a guest back next week, so yes, don't worry about it. Who's it going to be? Well, you just have to tune in and find out. Yes, yes. like like we do. <laughs> you think we know anything about this shit? No, we don't. Right. <laughs> uh, so for now, though, it's been goodbye from me. And it's a see you later from me. Ciao. <laughs> My crumpet looks like a batarang. <laughs>